0: and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. So today we're gonna talk about the problem with buy and hold investing, or at least the challenges related to it. Interesting thing, Steve. Intuitively, as an accountant, I hate paying tax. So to me, I'm naturally drawn towards the idea of long-term investing because numerically, if you hold an asset for longer, yes, you do pay a lump of tax at the end. Uh, But if you actually work through the numbers, potentially you can pay a lot less CGT by investing for the longer term. Because I do uh, have a real estate background as well, the transaction costs related to uh, property purchases and disposals are extremely painful yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so uh, so in that regard even when you know that a market's looking peaky like sydney was in 2017 you might still decide to hold because you think well you know if somebody could guarantee that i could buy the same property back 30% cheaper then yeah, great yeah. but there's always that nagging doubt that interest rates change or whatever so you just think well i'll I'll stay the course now stocks are very different because they're much more liquid. Uh, the transaction costs these days, brokerage fees are negligible. Yep. Um, so you can get in and out much more easily. Yes, there is CGT. So I guess um, today I thought what we'd cover is um, the the notion of time in the market versus timing the market.
1: The great debate.
0: Yeah, that's it. And it's, um, <laughs> it's amazingly polarizing. And I, I know a lot of people will say, well, you just buy and hold for the long term and just let the market do what it does. But yep. one of the things I've noticed is that To a certain extent, everybody is a market timer, whether they realise it or not. So, yeah, that's just a sort of an overview
1: of what we'll talk about today. Yeah, Um, yeah. Let me give you an example. Two books, Mastering the Market Cycle, right, by Howard Marks. This is his latest book about 18 months ago or so. It's a really great read. You should probably have a think about buying it. And in it, he talks about the various cycles in real estate or, you know, stocks and that sort of thing. The other one is a, a lesser known book called Probable Outcomes by Ed Easterling, and this is a really, really good book. The reason why is because they talk about market cycles, and it gets back to that stuff about, as you say, time in the market versus timing the market. When you look at the models of the stock market, it doesn't fit the theory of buy and hold, which is the time in the market. Let me give you an example. The theory starts off righto. The assumption is everybody's got the same information. That's the assumption. So let's work from there. One of the other assumptions is people don't like volatility. And so therefore, they want to minimize variance or minimize risk, right? Which is what they think volatility is. So therefore, if you're going to do that, and if you're going to have bet on a Monday or invest on a Monday and collect it, you know, whether it's 10, 20 months or 10, 20, 30, 40 years, right? This is the way to do it. Okay. All right. Great idea. How many of us all have the same information? None. Okay. Well, that's not very good for the theory. And what about, you know, we all hate volatility and we want to minimise variance? Well, no, that's not right either. Okay. So what you do is you get to it and you go, well, hang on, this thing, is not the right model, you know? So it's like trying to cut meat with a butter knife. Why doesn't it work? Well, it doesn't work because you're not using the right tools. And so people are critical of timing the market because they say, well, timing the market works and it doesn't work all the time. And that's what Easterling talks about. You know, Easterling says, and as we say, you know, if you invested from 2000 to 2009, you lost 60% of your money. And then people say, oh, yeah, but you can do it for 20 years. And it's like, oh, okay, well, 20 years, you went nowhere in the US. Oh, well, yeah, but if you do it for, you know, and it's a bit like, hang on. You would look at that and say, well, there's something wrong with the model that they use. When I went and did my master's of um, applied finance, all we did was basically Markowitz's theory, efficient market hypothesis, right? And then there's a couple of others from there. But the thing when I sort of said, well, this doesn't really seem to work appropriately yeah, in no, all circumstances, he said, the same stuff. It's, you know, it's not about that, it's about getting you a job in the finance industry. Hmm. And I'm not being critical but I'm just saying the model doesn't really work. Warren Buffett doesn't use the model, right? George Soros doesn't use the model. Jim Simons doesn't use the model. Howard Marks doesn't use the model. And you look at that and go, well, they're all like supremely rich people. Ray Dalio doesn't use the model. Maybe there's another model you can use.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, uh, this is many moons ago, learning uh, the Efficient Markets Hypothesis and Markovitz and CAPM and all of that yep, stuff yep. at accountancy school. And it kind of made some sort of sense to me, you know, from a, a textbook standpoint. And obviously you do what you have to do to get through the exams. But yep. then you go to work in the real world, and I was in professional practice. You were, and then listed, you really learned. Yeah, well, yeah that's <laughs> right. And then, yeah. Uh, that's a whole other story. <laughs> We're I mean, all Marxists <laughs>
1: when we start off at you <laughs> yeah. end up raising capitalists. But then,
0: uh, <laughs> when I went to work in the listed company environment, and then you see just how irrational not only markets can be, uh, investors, companies, and yep. yep. um, you know you get insane panics and then manias, and then you think, well, hang on a second, this doesn't feel very efficient, you know. And yeah. it's, I, I think. And what that's you,
1: because. The assumptions are wrong.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it would be fair to say to some degree, markets have a level of efficiency, but saying that they are efficient, I mean, that's like the difference between, as Buffett said, that's like the difference between nighttime and
1: daytime. Yeah, yeah. The thing is too, you think about when is it efficient, how many times, and again, you get back to, you know, the intrinsic value that value investors talk about, and it's like, okay, but it can change on a dime. To me, it's a bit like, well, the intrinsic value was, you know, ten bucks. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, actually, no, it's uh, eight dollars fifty. Oh, um, that's a big difference, you know. Well, yeah, only- well, no, it's actually six dollars.
0: Yeah, or the oil price down 60% in two months. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It doesn't feel very efficient. So to change the pace a bit, let's talk about the CAPE ratio because yep. we've touched on secular bull and bear markets. Pinehole can fail for a very long, uh, you know, an extremely painful period of time, you know, 20 years. I've actually got personal investments made back in the late 90s in in Britain and they after you strip out inflation, they've done absolutely nothing. They've done nothing. So it's, I've got first-hand experience of it and... Uh, The CAPE ratio, so firstly, let's talk about what it is. So the the price earnings ratio um, is one of the most popular measures of whether a market is cheap or expensive. Now, we mentioned markets aren't always efficient. It's a bit broad brush, to say the least. And one of the things I know from uh, my listed company experience is that when you get a thing like the coronavirus or the global financial crisis, companies have a natural tendency to wash out all of the bad news. So what you find, you know, some do things differently. But as a general rule, earnings can be extremely volatile, driven in Australia by commodity prices or, you know, bank losses or whatever it may be. So the CAPE ratio tries to look through that earnings volatility. Uh, by giving you, I mean, there are different measures you can use, but uh, the CAPE 10-year seems to have a a decent kind of an accord with the business cycle and a very strong correlation with expected market returns. returns. So we were having a conversation late 2019, early 2020, and we're saying, look, the CAPE ratio is at 33.3. And people are saying, you know, well, just buy and hold, you can't time the market. And as we were saying at the time, well, we've got what, 120 years of history yep. behind us? The, the ratio has never been sustained at anything remotely as yeah. high as that so why would it be different this time yeah and of course just like at the peak of every cycle all the experts come out and say well it's different this time because share yeah. buybacks because, interest rates
1: are really low yeah, you know blah blah blah
0: all the different reasons and i think what we'll probably find over the coming years is that it hasn't been different at all no. and it's everyone in together, everyone, everyone out, out together. together. So uh, tell us that, a bit about the correlation between the 10-year CAPE ratio yep. and expected returns, because I guess this is critical. If you're going to do better than buy and hold, you need to have some kind of a systematic model to yeah. say, well, okay, the CAPE's expensive, I'm
1: going to take risk off. How do off. you invest? Yeah, and if yeah, like, yeah. the
0: CAPE ratio is at 15, right, I'm going to maximize my exposure. So it talk to started, us a bit about it that. It
1: started a long time ago with uh, Ben Graham, And a lot of people talk about Ben Graham, who's the sort of doyen of value investing and the the sort of guru. And what happened was Graham said, there's times when the market's expensive, so you should have your money in bonds. Not all of it, but 75 and 25, right? John Templeton, another great investor, said, when the market's really high, you should have less of your money in the market because the returns are, you know, crap. Well, why do you want to do that? You know, go and find another asset class, whether it's real estate, bonds. The relationship between stocks and bonds is when stocks are high, bonds are cheap, and when bonds are high, stocks are cheap. But what you have a look at is when Markowitz came out and he said, look, you know, you can't time the market. You've got to do this buy and hold routine, blah, blah, blah. Schiller said, well, hang on, let's have a look at the evidence, right? Earnings are fairly stable over the long term, right? Right. What Shiller said was, what changes is the price? The price of what? The price of the market, right? So that's people being emotional because Shiller was saying, well, look, if we're all rational investors, like Markowitz said, well, the market would just climb nicely. Well, it doesn't. It goes up, you know, like... 400%. 400%. Well, that's what right It that goes up 400% up. And, it's like, and the economic growth rate are 2 yeah. it's
0: like. Hmm. Th- I mean, this is one of the things we've been warning about for a few years now is that the market's gone up 50% in the US. Earnings have done almost nothing, nothing. in some cases. Yep. Yeah, sure, there's a few. It's the
1: price that's going up.
0: And it's running on fumes and that's what we've been yep. saying. And I just it, have to say, I have to give a plug to these guys at Nelly, that, yeah. Nelly's Coffee because
1: uh, yeah, we're down here in Redcliffe today recording.
0: <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic.
1: The other thing about CAPE is... That most people will say, and this is what you get at every market top, you know, you get the same behaviour all the time and you get it, oh, oh, well, Cape's flawed. Okay. Cape's flawed. All right. Because why? Well, you know, if you'd have sold CAPE at, you know, 18 because it was above the average, I mean, nobody does that. That's ridiculous. No, and
0: this is where I think, as, as we were alluding to, you need some kind of a written plan, essentially. It can be personalised yeah. to you, but you need to have... I'll
1: rebalance at these levels, you know, annually or 6 Yeah, you, you need know, to have six some
0: kind of a model they are going to follow. And if if the CAPE is above 30, you're going to reduce risk and yep. reduce exposure to the market. If the CAPE's 25, 20, 15, you've got yep. different... Um, Balance Different between levels, stocks yeah. and cash. And that's
1: all, that's all Ben Graham and John Templeton were saying. Yeah, Look, well, if things are really expensive, why would you buy a lot of it? Yeah. And this, yeah, that's, that's there's, a, there's, there's a
0: wonderful diagram that uh, refers to Templeton's exposure. Yeah, yeah. Between zero and 100. Now, for, for most individual investors, that's quite impractical and you might – you might rotate between 20 and 80% in stocks and and vice versa in cash uh, because a cheap market can always get cheaper Cheaper, when the panic's on. Just having some kind of a model that you can refer to instead of trying to make knee-jerk or emotional uh, responses. If you look
1: at CAPE, right, the argument is, oh, CAPE's broken because, you know, they changed the way they do earnings and all that sort of stuff. No one ever looks at it and says, yeah, but most US companies don't do the gap, generally agreed accounting principles, returns, You know, they're all cheating like bloody crazy. So why would you trust them for a start on that front? Plus, Cape's correlation for its predicted 10-year returns is about 85. Very high, yeah. It's not as if it's about 0.2 where you'd go, well, it's a bit of a roll of the dice. It's actually got a really good track record. Mm. But the problem is because it doesn't turn on a dime... The buy and hold people say, oh, well, you can't pick the top. And it's like, I don't need to pick the top. I just need to get around the top where I adjust my asset allocation. That's all you need to do. That way you'll outperform by not having so much money at risk.
0: Yeah, I think you, you do get a lot of those non secular arguments. It, I mean, CAPE is not a short-term market timing no. tool. There are other things you can use, moving averages and yeah. so on. But all that CAPE really helps you to do is recognise particularly with the US being half of the global market cap, it's a very important market to watch. And you can see when the market's expensive, take risk off and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think yeah, you, you can go through an exercise as well, uh, look at some of the soft indicators of a market near its peak. I mean, I did this um in third or fourth quarter of 2019. And some of the measures, like uh, corporate debt in Australia, there's a lot of deleveraging, so that wasn't flashing red. Yep. But there was an awful lot of other stuff. There was Bitcoin, yeah, there yeah. was uh, tech unicorns. Uh, there were people saying, well, you have to keep buying at any price. The price is irrelevant. Yep. And then, then on the other hand, quoting Buffett. And it's like, well, that's not that's not what Buffett says. He's a yeah, market yeah. timer. You know, there, yeah, yeah. there are a number of indicators that showed that the general public was into the market. Yep. It's the third phase, the rampant speculation yeah. phase. And it's hard to sit out of the market uh, when it when it powers on for six, nine, 12 months and people yep. are boasting about gains. But the key point we're trying to get across is you've got secular bull and bear markets and yeah. it's about maximising your returns through the yeah. cycle. And if you make 12%,
1: 10%, you know, you're know you doubling your money yeah, every yeah. six, seven years, you'll do just fine over the long run. Yep. Ed Easterling talks about bull and bear markets, and he says, look, in a bull market, it's sort of like if you're in a boat, you can put the sail up and the wind will, you know, do all the work for you, right? And that's a cheap market, right? The cheap market, you get it at bottoms and the the market does all the work for you. In a bear market, you've got to tack, Mm. right? And you've got to row a lot more because the market is, is expensive. The other thing too is when you look at Cape, Cape doesn't tell you where you've been it tells you where you're gonna go. And what what it simply says is, look, if the CAPE ratio is 20, your return will be probably about 5% over the next 10 years. If the CAPE's at 30, it'll be roughly about three. Now, what happens a lot of the time is you don't go three, 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 four, two, three, three, as a return, you get an almighty crash, you lop 50% off the market, And then it doubles. And so CAPE was at 44 in 2000, right? Which was basically saying you'll probably get nothing, right? Once you take out fees, inflation, taxes, you'll get nothing. It lost 50% over the next three years, right? Then it doubled and then it lost 50% again. So what I'm saying is over from 2000 to 2010, that was an awful time. Why? Because CAPE started at 44 from 2010 to 2020 you look at the market cape was at about 15 or you know around there we've had a great decade when you look at it now if it's the start of 220 cape was at about 30 what it's saying is look i don't i'm not telling you what's gone in the last 10 years i'm just telling you from here 30 into 100 gives you about 3.3 you know, finesse it a bit of this and a bit of that, you know, and you've got dividends. Okay, I know you've got dividends, but you've got fees and inflation and taxes. You're not going to get a lot back if you buy now. Mm. Now, if the market crashes 50% and you buy, well, the cake might be 15 Okay, from that point, you'll do really well, mm. right? Yeah. And, and it gets back to what you're saying. It's about the price you pay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Sheila's done a lot of work on this and I remember him saying that people don't appreciate the same people that drove the bull market are the same people (laughs) who are going to drive the bear market because at what point do people think, well, I've had 400% return since 2009. The last thing you want to do is give it all back. So everybody in together, everybody out together. And this just goes back to what we were talking about in episode one, about if you're trying to maximise not the average or arithmetic mean return. If you're trying to actually maximise your wealth, the yeah, yeah. geometric return, yeah. then you need to avoid those massive drawdowns. Even if it means sitting largely in cash for a year, yep. two years. That's it's that's hard why to Buffett
1: do. says, don't lose money. Right, rule number one. Why? Because as you're pointing out, if you lose fifty percent, you've got to get a hundred percent to get back to where you were. And so you look at that and say, okay, well, how long do I have to wait to get back to where it was if I wasn't putting my superannuation in and people could say, yeah, you are. And I, I don't have a problem with that, but you can control your super these days. And let me give you a prime example, right? And it, and it's purely numbers. It's not, you know, any secret thing. It's purely numbers based. If you've got $10,000, right? And I say to you, right, listen, Pete, you've got a choice. Right, I'll give you two choices. First of all, you can invest your 10 grand now and you can earn 7% every year or I'm gonna hold you ten grand and I'm gonna put it into say cash at say four percent, the good old days. Twenty years ago yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. for the first four years. Yep. Right? So while your neighbor's there earning seven percent and you're only earning four, you feel like a fool, right? Then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna say, Well, your neighbor's getting seven. Now the market's cheap. I'm gonna get you to put your money in and compound at ten. Right? For the next six years. Over the ten years, you earn sixteen percent more money. Why? Because you waited for the, the market to be cheap, okay? And that is what you've got to do. It's like when you go to a card game, you're going to have 100 bets. You don't just say to yourself, I'll just bet a dollar every game. If you draw an ace, you go well, I've got a pretty good chance of winning this, so I'll put a bit more in. Depends how many
0: schooners you've had before <laughs> you go into the casino or most, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. that's, that's probably a whole other subject. I think... Um, <laughs> well, that's why they serve alcohol. <laughs> well, yeah, and uh, yeah, it definitely worked in my case. Uh, one of the things that we touched on in Episode 1 was the stages of life because yeah. I think back to uh, during the mining boom years, I was much younger, I had less to lose in many respects, I had no kids, no family, yep. and I couldn't... Remember doing, yeah, all kinds of stupid things, you know, because I worked in the resources industry for a while. You know, there's a lot of people speculating on penny stocks and you yep. know, double your money one day, half the next. <laughs> but, but to a certain extent, and I think you kind of understand this intuitively when you're younger, you can afford to take some of those kind of risks because, I mean, it's not going to damage your long run uh, result too much, as long as you don't bet the house on it. So long as you don't bet the house on it, <laughs>
1: yeah, because that's, that's it. what... Buy and holders are sort of like, oh, you just, you know, you got it 40 years. But as I say to people, just for argument's sake, and you know this in real estate, people say, oh, you know, if you hold it for the long term, it'll be fine. Okay, all right. If you buy a property at, let's say it's 600,000 and you borrow five, right? You borrow 500,000, you pay it off over 25 years or whatever. And it ends up you pay, you know, 1.1 million depending on interest rates, blah, blah, blah. If you said to yourself, well, I'm going to wait for that property to it becomes cheap, and then say you picked it up at five, and you said, well, I don't need to borrow five, I only need to borrow four. If you borrow four, the difference is that you're not paying interest on a hundred thousand over 25 years, and it works out to be like about 300,000. Yeah. So this is what I hear that, oh, well, you're young. And it's like, okay, so I should just lose 50% and go, oh, well, bad luck. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense because the alternative is to say, "Well, I'll just be selective because I got a long time frame. I don't need to rush in." You don't need to stay. Set all the route. time, yeah. Yeah,
0: and I think a lot of people—I see this in real estate a lot. They think, "Well, I don't get a daily quoted price. Long-term investment. I'm very comfortable yep. with that." But I can tell you, people who bought in Darwin at the peak of the <laughs> mining boom—and I actually lived <laughs> up there for a little while—and it was—it it was nuts, yeah. <laughs> but a lot of people are now finding. The pain becomes too great after mm. after five, six, seven years of negative returns, and then they sell at the low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I they think, do
1: it in stocks.
0: Yeah, and this, well, this is what I'm implying. And I think um, we talked in episode one about um, I can remember people coming up to retirement, 2006, and six seven and then suddenly a massive drawdown in the super fund, yeah. back to work for the next five years. You mentioned the casinos, a terrible uh, Experience I had the first time I went to the casino, like a lot of young Englishmen, I was a heavy boozer back in the day. And me and a friend of mine, we were playing roulette and all kinds of stupid games. The odds yep. were stacked against us. And we won, I think from memory, about £690. I won, and they won a similar amount. Of course, we were absolutely Genuses. full of ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, it's very much the same in penny stocks. Yeah. You know, the, the worst thing that can happen is you have some big winners. You have to, at some point, go through the lesson. Which was, of course, the next time we went back, Yep, had a fall and gave the whole lot back. And yeah. it, was, it was truly sickening. And it doesn't sound like a lot of money today, but I can tell you when yeah, I was yeah. 19 or whatever it was. I had the same experience in horses. Sickening, yeah. So uh, to a certain extent, you, get, you want to get those experiences out of the way. When you get to our stage in life, we really don't want to have a fifty percent drawdown. Yeah. Hence, why we might have a different view. Yeah, I now, haven't got a
1: long term hold. What I wanted at to fifty seven. No, well, Thanks, with, very, thanks might, very much. We might. Yeah.
0: Uh, what I wanted to touch on uh, was this: the growth of the financial independence retire early community. Yeah, yeah. Now, I think I've as I've, as I've already touched on, I'm, I'm gonna be, going to be well. I'm the last person to be critical of of any young person or their approach. Because as I already mentioned, I've done many, many stupid things, not only financially, yeah, but yeah, also yeah. otherwise. Uh, yeah, that's right. Because that's part of growing up life and you, you learn lessons and learn how not to do things again. Now, I'm a big advocate of this movement because what people are doing is they're saying, well, hang on a second, you know, instead of uh, spending all my money, which is what most of us did when we were younger, yep. um, I'm going to actually set aside you know, 20%, 30 40 50% invested for the future. Now, a lot more sensible than we well, were. Well, that's right. I,
1: I, I, There's a lot of hotels in Brisbane that have got a lot of money thanks I,
0: to me. I found it mind-blowing how people can be so sensible at such a young age, but that, that's a whole other thing. Fools. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. yeah, that's it. yeah. What the that's hell it. is wrong with kids these days? But I think... Uh, so. I think the it's been an interesting one because um, we've been into essentially a stock bubble or something close to it. So obviously the, the demand for people going into 100% in stocks yeah, yeah. It naturally correlates higher. To a certain extent, what we're talking about, timing the market versus timing the market, yeah. Uh, there's, there's a deceptive simplicity to what the FIRE movement promotes and that's forget cash, 100% in stocks and just keep buying. Now, yeah. there's a couple of things there. One, people like the idea of a simple automated approach. They don't have to spend too much time thinking, do I pick the market? And they will get, for sure, a much better outcome than somebody who just doesn't save. Because what you find with that financial independence strategy is that a lot of the returns actually come from the fact they just save more money than the average person. You sometimes get uh, logical ideas taking to illogical extremes. extremes, And what we've seen in, in 2019 is people saying, well, it doesn't matter what the market's doing. You know, it doesn't just matter. keep buying if the sex yeah. is at 7,100. Uh, you know, valuations at basically record highs across you know healthcare and yeah. some of the financials basically, everything except mining is extremely expensive. What we'll probably see is that the funds invested at that level will see zero return for a very long time, yeah, they and, could be. And I think as well, well, maybe touch on this in episode three in terms of what to invest in and when yeah you yeah. know these days you don't have to have the home bias that we used to have so yeah i think um you know there's some brilliant stuff that's come out of the and some of the the blogs and material that people come up with is amazing for for such young people compared well, yeah. compared to the rubbish that we would have been coming out with yeah. at a similar age but I, I think um as you get older and as you you, you can have potentially a much broader horizon these days, and you don't have to be invested in, you know, Vanguard Aussie
1: shares or you know the listed investment yeah, yeah. companies. You don't have to have the same home bias. Well, when I was a kid, holiday overseas was Braby Island. Yeah. You know, whereas are recording my, this in regular so yeah, yeah. come far My, my niece <laughs> has been to the US to study. You know, all through Europe. You know, blah blah blah. Which at her age, which I think is about twenty eight, for me was a bit of a pipe dream because that was thirty years ago. You know, airfares, you know, were about three years' wages. Like it was just, it was completely different Mm. um, to what it is. And back then you didn't, I mean, we didn't even have super for a start, but it was also too, it was just the way life worked was a little bit more paternalistic in that you sort of, you know, left school, got a job, went to the factory, got married, had a house and then died. Whereas now you can do whatever you want. You can travel the world. You know, you can go to uni. You can choose what jobs you want. You know, all sorts of stuff. And so, the fire community has got a really good opportunity to start learning about stocks, property, any asset class, and you know, in broad finance mm. and work. But it, it goes back to what I say: you've got to read widely to figure out which model works. And secondly, what suits you? Hmm. Because, you know, as you know, in our book, we touch on personalities because some people go, I'm not interested in money. Okay, well, that's fine. Give it to somebody to manage your money. No problem. But there's a group of people saying, well, that's interesting. I'd like to know more about money, um, you know, because I want to manage it myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think I I would say the the Enneagram assessment, the nine personality types, probably a lot of the people in the FIRE community would fit into that type seven person. Yeah, yeah, the seven like yourself, and three types. Which is they seeking freedom, adventure, yeah. not having a boss telling them what to do. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, somebody who's struggled through my professional career, you know, I can see the, the attraction of that. But I guess, yeah, what we've been talking about today is, you know, there are ways that you can get better geometric returns through the yeah, cycle yeah. by managing it, yeah. managing your exposure. You don't have to be in the market at all times. That's
1: the important point, right? That is the critical point, which is, you don't have to be in the market at all times. And even now, the benefit is now you can actually bring your, you know, super provider and say to them, and you can do it online yourself in Australia, you can basically just get in there. And I've done this for friends of mine to say, you can just go, right, I'm moving it out of a balanced fund into a conservative fund. And then 12 months later, you can come back and go, right, Oh, stock market's really low. Okay, I'm going to move it back into the, you know, the high growth fund. So you've got a lot more flexibility and it's important that people, even if you knew that stuff out of market cycles, to say, when the market's really expensive, I know I'm getting more returns, but the risk is increasing. And so I need to pair a little bit off. You can split super these days into, you know, 20 cash and a bit of this and a bit of growth. So it's easier to manage your money now than it ever has been. And that's where you know, like young people are sort of grabbing that and going, "Well, I'll take charge of my own life," yeah. and it can be really, really beneficial. And more power to them. I, yeah, yeah.
0: And, and uh, so I suppose just to wrap up today, I think what we're saying is that the geometric return from buy and hold over the long term is a lot lower than what people well, think yes. it is. But if you're buying when prices are up here, it's probably zero. You're in you trouble. Buy, if you buy when prices are down here much higher so what we're going to talk about next time on episode three is we've talked in broad terms about why you should consider managing your own money and how timing the market can actually maximize your geometric return so we're going to talk in episode three about what you might look to invest in and when those are the two key decisions Uh, so we're into a new era now where cash in the bank is not going to earn much if anything after inflation we'll talk about what you can invest in and when cheers see you next time Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers.